Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you first. You what? first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is astonishing me this week is uh, we, on Sunday, did our Christmas cantata, which is a, um, a tradition at the Grove um, that has changed over the years as the church has changed, but... Um, has has stayed um, to have one service before during the Advent season where it's all music um, and the the number of people who participate in music is expanded so folks who kind of can't make a regular commitment to being part of the music leadership team can come and be a part of this one day and um, it just is really beautiful. And, I, you know, I'm not somebody that honestly, in spite of the fact that I, or maybe because of the fact that I um, have a music degree undergrad, I really, I don't, I don't listen to music a lot. So I, like when I'm in the car, yeah, I really? don't, I don't, I don't, really? I listen to nothing but NPR and I don't, I just don't. You don't listen to music no, a lot. No, I know that it makes me a real outlier, but I, I just don't. And um, the, so the music that's in my head is really just the music that I'm exposed to at the Grove. I mean, which is great, which is more than enough for me. Um, but yeah, the church is my whole musical world. And um, we have an amazing, an amazing music leader who just um, spends a lot of time seeking out um, just, I mean, there is really wonderful music being created now um, that shares the gospel in really compelling ways. And um, I'm not saying that beautiful spirit-filled music wasn't written 500 years ago, because it was, but... But the church always creates music for its time. For its time. And so it's happening and it's great. And for folks who didn't grow up with um, certain musical traditions, and so if you grew up with them, they're deeply meaningful to you. They're sacred. They connect you back in time. But if you didn't grow up with them, it's hard to feel moved by them. Um, so so having music that sounds like good music that's being written in this day is just it's really powerful and um and I'm someone who personally has done a 180 because I you know I in my undergrad I was trained as a classical musician as an opera singer in fact and so I was somebody that traditional worship I mean it just worked for me I wasn't interested in I wasn't interested in contemporary worship I didn't need it um and so when we went through the transformation process and that was one of the things that we had to do I was very resistant to it and I definitely bought into all of the um, snark against contemporary music that it's simplistic and it's all Jesus is my boyfriend and it's all repetitive and you know and um, and it was interesting one thing is you know our friend Robert Ostell um, we were doing some work with the presbytery at the time and so we you know had conversations much more regularly and he is an amazing musician and he just said to me, you know, Kate, if what you know about contemporary music is our God is an awesome God, you don't know contemporary music. You know music from 30, now 40 years ago. That's right. And he said, you know, there's really good stuff out there. And if, um, you know, you can't judge something if you don't bother to know it, which is true. And it's embarrassing now to look back at my attitude which was, if I don't know about it, then it's not going to be good. I mean, that was just my attitude. Like, if it was any wow. good, I'd know yeah. about it. You know, so of that's course. just embarrassing. Wow. Um, but, but, you know, it's amazing that that this music that um, our music leader has brought to us has just it's been life-changing for me. And I was perfectly content with worship that we had before um, because I didn't know how much more I could be moved. Not to mention, I did not know how much widening the music would widen the door and welcome in new people, right? So anyway, the music at the Grove is just, to me, always, always amazing um, and really deeply meaningful. And we, I think I've talked before on the podcast about how, you know, in our house, just moving through the weeks, you know, I hear my kids 
you know, not just my 13 year old and my 10 year old, but my three year old singing like, you know, like she can sing songs like she was singing, um, you know, glory, glory, um, you know, uh, his love is strong enough to save us. There's another song she really likes called Teach Me How to Sleep in the Storm. Um, and wow. I mean, that's just really powerful. And I think the thing that I was taught to dislike about this style of music was that it was simple. And now I recognize, like, of course it's simple. And simple isn't a weakness. Simple is a strength. It actually takes a lot of genius to mm. make something true and simple. Mm. Um and it's just accessible. Anyone can walk in and join the song. And that's not a liability. That's the point, right? Yeah. So anyway, all that to say is the music at the Grove is always great. But then having this one Sunday that's just set aside for for awe. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. what it's about is saying to recover the awe of the incarnation that this is not... This is unexpected. We have to. Our theme is the glorious impossible, and we need to recover the impossibility of it. And um, music is just a great way to do that. And it, it, one of the songs uh, that we were singing um, is by a woman named Sarah Groves, and it's called "We Wait." Um, and and it's you know it talks about you know we're waiting through this month of endless night. And um, one of the lines is. Um, talks about making a cathedral made in time, which comes from um, Heschel, Abram Heschel, right? Yes. But it's just, you know, this beautiful image of that's what we do when we create something in worship, which we do every week, this, you know, that has no physicality to it. It's this experience that we co-create together and it exists and it's powerful. And then you move past that moment and and it's gone, it's you gone. know, just, just kind of like a Mandela and it's this beautiful yeah. anyway. So it, it, it was really, um, glorious and it's hard for me as kind of a Western thinker to just recognize that so much of what we do is not visible to the eye. And that is really important. Um, and so it, it was really beautiful and it was, um, and you know, and, and it, it will never happen again. And I think, you know, the other power of it is making this moment. Um, and it's just so much more beautiful than it has to be. Hmm. And that to me is so evocative of what worship needs to be in any community. Um, but especially in a community like the Grove where, you know, it's not, um, it, it isn't resourced in the ways that a lot of, um, contemporary American society would put a, say like, oh, this is good, right? I mean, this is not, there's a lot in our community that is beautiful and holy and wonderful. And, and it's, they're not the same things that most real estate agents would say like, oh, this is a good community to move into. So, so to, to just create this really beautiful thing that people walk in and go, you know, wow, this is, someone labored for this just, just to make it beautiful. Um, and it's not gonna, you know, they're not going to sell it and mm. it's not going to exist for forever. It's just this beautiful, impermanent thing. And that's so holy. Um, so anyway, I just am astonished by it. Do you have any advice for small churches, small church pastors, members of small churches who are thinking about contemporary music, but they are... Um, Watching the the large congregations and saying talking themselves out of it because they're sure. saying we can't do that. Yeah, I will say a lot of songs that I love that we do at the Grove. There are times when my um, my oldest daughter is always <laughs> switching our kitchen radio from NPR to contemporary Christian stations, and I'll hear a song and I'm like, ugh, I hate that. And then I'm like, oh no, I don't hate. I love that song. It's just that the the way that things are produced for the radio often I really don't like. But when we do it, it's a it's just different the it, way it sounds well, in our congregation. Well, there's an authenticity and a reality, yeah. and it's just not overproduced. We don't mm. um, generally have an electric guitar. <laughs> we don't. It just it sounds different, and I think that's what's really helpful. Is you know, I think a lot of what people are reacting against is this idea that it's going to sound like a really loud garage rock band concert. And I mean that. I mean that can be your sound if that's what you want it to be, but it doesn't. 
it doesn't have to be, and it probably shouldn't be. So, um, well, it also sounds like you're pushing back against the idea of performance on the platform for audience in the pews. And what you have at the Grove is there, there's an, an us, (laughs) we are doing right. I mean, we have our, our, um, ministry that leads, um, I mean, they are worship leaders Mm -hmm. and we talk about that all the time that you are leading the people into worship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what is success for us is not how it sounds on the platform. It's, are is the congregation have they joined in the song have that's they joined good. in the moment mm-hmm. and so that that's what matters i mean people can go and hear whatever their preference and personal opinion about excellent music is they can go and hear that anytime they want to but but again as we were saying like this gathering which exists for this hour hour and a half and then will never exist again i mean you will never get that group of people together again and when you can get them to be co-creating something that has no purpose other than to praise the lord like that's powerful and it's subversive um and it I, I, well, and for 99%, if not more uh, uh, percent of people in the room, that is the only time during the week where they're creating music correct. with a group of people. Or maybe creating anything. Well, true. Yeah. As opposed to consuming mm-hmm. or producing. Yes. And just creating something for the sheer joy of creating. And no, I mean, I, I just think that the more I think about it, the more I drill into it, and I'm still growing in this, but just worship. I mean, for the growth, definitely Worship is the heart of our community. It's the thing that we, I think there are things that we do that are more visible in terms of the way that we serve in our neighborhood, and that's important. But the but the heart of the community, the primary thing is worship. And, um, and just the very fact that it can't be commodified or, you know, qualitatively counted. I mean, that that's part of the thing. It just, it, it has power because it is a gift that we give to God, um, and, and to say to people, this thing that you create is worthy of God Almighty, I mean, that's powerful. Um, and the fact that, you know, people drawn from all different categories, all different categories of people are coming together to join in this one common song, you know, that's, I mean, that's the kingdom, right? Mm. And it's a foreshadowing of Absolutely. shalom. And yeah. so yeah, it's just, it's really, um, it, it, it it's really sacred. Um, so, I mean, I, I just... I think it's it's really hard. We were talking about this on the walk a little bit too. Um, that if you have a small church and a church maybe that has not been growing, or you're sort of starting to ask the question of, you know, I'm not sure that we we love God and we love each other, but we're not sure that this community looks like the kingdom of heaven, and and what are we supposed to do about that? Um, like that's a really that's a really important conversation. It's a powerful conversation to have, mm-hmm. um, and the power lies in in the discomfort. Like as to the extent that you will allow that conversation to make you uncomfortable, that's the extent that it will be a powerful conversation. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and I think one of the things that you can look at is worship and say what like what are our values around worship and um, because for me I. There are multiple points in worship where it's very clear to me that I am not in control. Like I'm not controlling what's happening. Um, whether you know there's someone coming up on the platform to pray and they might name God a different way than I would name God, or they would um, have an experience that they would talk about with the Lord that I've not had, or that I wouldn't you know name in the same ways, and just recognizing. But for me, the priority is creating a space where people can come. And, and be authentic um, about who they are in Christ and what their their real experience of God is, even when that's messy, even when even when theologically it's problematic, um, as there are I think some some bad theologies floating around out there in the world, and sometimes sure. people wander into the grove and they they have been shaped by them, and and but I think even that is 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 real, right? Just to be able to say, I, I'm going to invite you to give voice to the your truth of what you know about God and trust that the Holy Spirit is big enough to be in the room. And I don't need to like vet, vet this. Mm. I don't need you to submit your remarks to me beforehand so that I can make sure that they align with 
tulip or what you know, <laughs> that they're Calvin approved. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to say part of the process is we believe in this community that the Holy Spirit is here and God is shaping us. And so if if people are watching and saying, you know, somebody gave this testimony in 2019 and then they get up in 2021 and say, you know, I used to believe that God was this and I've stood up in this church and said God was this and now mm-hmm. I've come to know that God is that. I mean, that's powerful. That and and I and I just feel really I'm I'm not the gatekeeper for for the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I just, I would say um, when people are looking at worship, it's important to see how, how much are you trying to control this? Mm, That's Um, good. And how much are you saying, well, we can't do this song, not because it's not true, um, but because so-and-so might not like it, or the congregation might not know how to sing it. Or, I mean, like those are not the, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like fear and preference are not should not be the decision making rubric that we run through, right? The question should be, is this true and is this faithful? And so, you know, I think that was the other thing is when we started looking at contemporary music, we just realized one of the reasons that people had a harder time with it is because the language did, wasn't shielding them anymore. I mean, so in terms of personal encounter with God, is well, that what you like mean? people can sing, "Here I rise." Raise my Ebenezer, right? Hither yes. by Thy help I come, <laughs> and, and can be it can be an experience from the neck up. Well, right, or like the, I don't really know what that means. Yeah. I don't have any. No. Can I, I mean, it's just like yeah. I'm. Th- this mm-hmm. song is sacred to me because my it was sacred to my grandparents. You know, mm-hmm. but if you are then singing like a song like How can I grow if I never get rained on? Or how, I mean, I I can't think of the words to that Sleep the Storm song, but I love it a lot, and the chorus is. Uh, let the thunder be my comfort. Let the lightning be the, my guide. Let the waves that rise around me rock me gently through the night. For the wind that seems against me blows me right into your arms. Teach me how to sleep in the storm. Right. So that the language doesn't protect people from the deep theological truth, which is sometimes the most uncomfortable and painful seasons in our lives are actually the seasons that um, mature us and deepen us and and unite us to God. And all we ever want God to do is stop the storms. And sometimes God doesn't, right? right. Like there was a time when Paul got lowered down on a basket over the side of the building so he could escape (laughs) from the guards. And then there was a season where the guards got him and he went to prison, right? right. And Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, you know, that God's feelings about Paul had changed. It was at a different season in his life, there was just, you know, there were different circumstances within which he loved the Lord and was in relationship with the Lord. And so I just think, you know, that song, um, the Here I Raise My Ebenezer, I mean, it's the same, it's the same theological point, but because we, because the words don't mean anything to us, we can sing it without wondering, is this true for me? Mm-hmm. Do I believe this? But when the words are the same words that we use to go to the grocery store and to watch a sitcom on television, we we have to really say, well, I'm singing this. Do I believe it? Yeah. And if I don't, why am I singing it? And yes. so that, you and know. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? Right? I mean, There's an incarnational kind of right, reality right. there. Well, and the reality is just thinking back to like when Jesus showed up preaching parables I mean, they the one of the reasons they were so terrifying is because they were so accessible. A like, sower went out to sow. Right. Everybody like, knew what he was talking right. about, right. right? And that was the point. And that was, I mean, there were, <laughs> the prophets always showed up to speak plainly so that everyone knew what they were talking about. And when we hold on to, and we've talked about this before, like we hold on to this Elizabethan English, we who are such proud, you know, standard bearers for the Reformation, it's, you know, this sort of like, anglicized version of latin it's this you know arcane language that will mean something to you if you've been privileged enough to study or have exposure in certain circles and you want to know otherwise it's kind of like chanting in latin you can just sort of get um get a, a somewhat of a spiritual like side buzz from the ritual of it all but you're not really encountering the truths that will terrify you and or set you free. Anyway, so I just think, I mean, the Holy Spirit will lead people through creating a worship service that will, you know, crack open the scabs mm-hmm. and invite new people in. But you gotta, you got to be willing to 
you know, receive a new gift from the Lord. And if you look at everything that's different from what used to be with suspicion, then then you will stay right where you are. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing, I mean, I'm hearing lots of great things of what you're saying, but one of the most powerful, so I think you're, you're, you're saying, um, it's, it is about style, right? Mm -hmm. It is. But underneath that, it's about really wanting an encounter with God. Correct. A very plain, simple, yet powerful, simple, yet, um, deeply personal and profound encounter with the spirit uh, through these right now songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of times, I mean, people go to worship for different reasons. And I think for, for a lot, not all, but for a lot of um, traditional mainline churches, especially Presbyterian churches, you know, a lot of people have left our churches. So the people who have stayed have stayed because it works for them as it is. And so many of the people who have left our churches have gone, well, some have left the, the church, Big C, but others have gone to other congregations where they get that kind of worship. Yeah, and I just think if we don't want that, we need that really kind of personal, transformative, vulnerable encounter with the holy during worship. If we can get to a place where we can be honest enough to say, like, I don't really want that. Like, I'd prefer, like, some distance between me and the Lord. Like, I'd like to worship in the in the outer temple, not in the yes, Holy of Holies, yes. right? I mean, if we don't want that, then, then great, let's name that. And then let's really talk about, so what does that reveal to us about ourselves? Which is maybe basically my life is going pretty well right now. I don't want God to mess it up. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't want to have an encounter with what Jesus is calling me to, because then I would have to wrestle with the fact that actually... You know, I might be tithing on the mint and the rue and leaving the greater. I mean, you know, if we want distance from God in our lives, that is, that's really significant. Yes. And it's not unique. Like, let me be clear. Well, yeah. That's the the human condition. In the Old Testament, the people said to Moses, you go up to the mountain (laughs) and meet with God and you come back down and tell Tell us us what what God said. We're just Adam and Eve. We're not going up there. Like, God walks into the garden and where are they? They're hiding. Because they do not want an encounter with God after they know that they violated the covenant. Even, I mean, you know, so I'm just like, I don't want to give this idea. And yet there is something in us that longs for it. Well, we need it. We we need it, and there is this thirst, and yet we're afraid of the very thing we're hungry and thirsty for. Well, and I think the reality is, I mean, and this is the 12 steps, like, friend of Bill stuff. Like, we have mm. the God-shaped hole in our lives, and there are other things that we can fill that hole with for a time. So it might be success at work. It might be, like, parenting our kids. It might be, like, advocacy in the community. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be shopping. It might be sex. Whatever it is, for a time... We can fill that hole with something else in a way that's tolerable until it's not anymore, right? So I just, I don't mean to say like the very worst people in the world are mainline people who like traditional worship. I don't think that that's true at all. I think it's actually very normal and not special at all to want some distance from God in your life. So it just looks a certain way in the mainline church. If you went to a contemporary evangelical church, they would there would be the same pathology in that church. It would just be Manifest. expressed yes. in a different way, Absolutely. right? So this mm-hmm. is just what it looks like here. And I just think we need to be honest about it because I think one thing that is strong in our tradition is an ability to, you know, to worship God with our mind and be able to say like this intellectual capacity to behold God and consider God actually will lead us where we need to go if we're brave enough to really consider it. But so. if we get stuck with a neck up worship, we're in deep trouble. Well, and if we get stuck at the point of like, well, I can see that this isn't faithful, but I don't want to rock the boat with my community or I don't want to make these people who I love mad. So I'm just, this is just the way it is. It's not the worst thing in the world. Leave me alone. Like that, that's going to be a problem. I mean, I think, you know, if we do not want to be led by the Holy Spirit, we won't be. Mm. And that is a problem. There is no reason for a church to exist if it's not led by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's nothing that we do that couldn't be done more effectively somewhere else if we don't want the Holy Spirit. I agree. So 
we got to look for. If the Holy Spirit le- isn't leading you in worship, then where? Okay, fine. Where is the Holy Spirit leading you? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I just think in a lot of places we are not being led by the Holy Spirit. We're being led by tradition, and we're looking all around us horizontally to see what's that church doing. Like that church is successful, or that church got written up in this publication, or they have a big endowment. What are we? What are they doing? Let's do that instead of really saying no. What is the Holy Spirit calling? us to do. For some in our community, the the roadblock is a false view of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. You know, some will say, and I'm quoting, I'm white, <laughs> therefore I cannot or I do not. That's right. just not my thing. I'm like, well, you should probably visit a white Pentecostal church. Right? Right. It's not about ethnicity at all. It's not. And I think, and we say this at the Grove all the time, that we want to create a space where people are free to authentically worship. Yes. So what that means is there are some people for whom it will never be authentic to raise their hands in the air, that it will never be authentic to shout amen. It will never be authentic to stand up and worship. And if that's not authentic for you, don't. Um, to sit in reverent silence before the Lord is not unfaithful. So it's not that we need everybody to manifest their sincerity in the same way. But what we do True. need is a space where it's explicitly named that you get to show up as you are and other people get to show up as they are. So you can't give your neighbor a side eye when they raise their hands. And if somebody needs to, I mean, and actually... <laughs> It happens. There are some people in our congregation where if they're really moved by something in the, well, we're already standing when we're singing, but in in a prayer or in a testimony or in the preaching moment, they'll stand up. Like they'll stand up and lift their arms to receive it. Absolutely. And and it's difficult because then there are other people in the church who are like, she stood up and blocked my view. And I want to be like, friend, move over. Right? Like that's not hard. Just move. It's not that big of a deal. Right? Like this is a very low bar to showing hospitality, right? I don't need you to stand up. Like, that's fine. You stay seated. But like, don't be offended when the person next to you is is authentically worshiping in a different way. Um, Like if God has a problem with how someone's worshiping, Mm-hmm. God can handle it. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, people, if God has a problem, he yeah. can strike him down. Done it Where, before, can do it again. True. If they're still breathing, it's probably okay. Where I thought you were going with that illustration was that when someone stands up, then others feel pressure to do the same thing, and you want to create an environment that says, no, you don't have to do what your neighbor is doing. Right, because we're not worshiping for each other. Right. Like, what I don't want anybody thinking about is, I mean, and we do, right? But I'm just saying, like, when we recognize I feel right now compelled to do something because of what my neighbor will think or won't think, that we've already failed. Yes. Like, just, I just mm-hmm. want you to be trying to be in the presence of the Lord, to be trying to say, you know, this is true, or what if this is true? <laughs> like, what would it be like? And so I just, and, and there's lots of, and I think what's also helpful is, this is long. We need to shut down this part of the conversation. But what I also think is helpful is just to say, sometimes I think we're chasing like this nirvana, like this emotional state in worship and not recognizing that the process is valuable to God, right? It's not like you get this moment of like spiritual bliss and then you were successful, like that's your A plus. And if you're still thinking about <gasps> oh, your neighbor, that we're trying to ring a certain emotional right. bell. Okay, no, I see. Like yeah. the reality is wow. just to be in the space and asking the questions and wrestling with things is pleasing to the Lord, right? And is and and is beneficial to us, right? I mean, that's what I think we're all wired differently. And so we're going to have different experiences in worship. And not only is that okay, that's the way it should be. Um, but we also need to recognize that um, by the same point, not everyone's going to worship like we do. So, I mean, I see, you know, I see people being people who are more expressive in worship, having their private little opinions about the spiritual life of the people who are less expressive. Pride on both sides. Correct. And so, you know, just to be able to say like, hey, if your focus is on the Lord, really, you're not going, you might, you might think about your neighbor because the Holy Spirit might lead you to whatever, to pray or to reach out and grab a hand or whatever, but it won't be prideful. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Our challenge Um, And I know we are going along on this subject, but it's so good. Um, Our challenge in our community is that 
our folks are so wonderful, especially, again, our seniors are so open and welcoming of folks who have a different worship style. And our seniors sincerely want those people as part of our worshiping community. But what's happening for us is that you know, they, they don't come in in a large group. They'll, you know, one at a time as a guest, mm-hmm. two at a time. And they will, they will worship in a way that emotes or expresses mm-hmm. that is different than the norm of the congregation. And they, they, they'll pull back. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that one of our oldest members, um, she told me that she went to one of those first-time guests and said, I loved it when you said amen. I loved it when you said hallelujah, whatever it was that she did that Sunday. And um, this wonderful senior member of our congregation said that she was shocked when this guest said, thank you, but I know that's not what you do here. And so I will quiet down. I know. And yeah, and I hear that. I mean, and it makes me... I mean, whatever, it's real. It's messy and it's Mm -hmm. real. But people say that at the Grove, too. Like, Mm. people will often come come up to me afterwards and be like, I couldn't help but shout at this point. And I'm like... Yeah, they'll apologize. Like, don't apologize. And I just... I mean, I appreciate, actually, just sort of the mutual submission going on there. And I think that's beautiful in its own way. Mm -hmm. And I just really hope... Um, that we would just continue to grow into a space where, I mean, again, we've talked before about it's a spiritual community. So if there's real freedom, then people will know it. I mean, they will just feel free to worship in any way. And I, and I encourage people to say like, I want you to worship as authentically as you can, because then it creates room and air for other people to do the same. Right. So and it creates an, envir- an environment that's just beautiful and powerful that you can't um, you can't make happen. Correct. It just comes as individuals are led by the Spirit and are following the Spirit in worship. And we all know that people can manufacture that kind of experience sure. as well. So sure. I mean, it's just seeking authenticity is is it, I mean, it's real, vulnerable, and difficult work and. But I mean, I remember when we were in the transformation pilot project together, and don't you remember? I mean, I, I, you know, because you were, because <laughs> we were friends. I mean, the whole first year of that process, like I was just angry. Like I was so angry. Like anything that the consultant said, like I was so. You mad. were a little bit you know I mean? snarky. I, I was. Mean, I was not a little bit of anything. Like I was really angry. I was really threatened. I was really mad. Um, and I mean, what was helpful is like, I had spaces, friends where I could just go and say like, this is what's wrong with this. And this is what's wrong with that. (laughs) And that guy's, I mean, like I, I felt all my feelings, which allowed me then to move, to move on. But I mean, I know, I remember how threatened and uncomfortable and like attacked I felt personally when we were talking about worship style, because I really remember just feeling so much like, you know, you're judging me because of how I worship. And so you're discounting all of the authentic encounters that I've had with Jesus. And you're saying that nothing I've done in my life counts because I don't worship in this way, or I don't lift my, you know, and I just, I I mean, and, and, you know, that was, I mean, that's, that's not, I mean, maybe it was, but it, that wasn't what they, where they were coming from. That was just how, that was the level of passion it was drawing out of me. And I think, you know, it, it, it just took me a while before I could get to the point of saying like, I, like, why can I just pay attention to why this is so threatening to me? Yeah. Like if it, if it's really not that big of a deal, then why, why am I so angry? And I, I think that's, I mean, going back to the hypothetical question about um, a pastor wanting to move in this way, like, I think for whatever reason, there's just huge reservoirs of emotion around this, and you can't detour around it or skip it because it's in that really painful mess that we get to a truth that can heal us and set us free. Because, I mean, I can remember, like, Bill saying something like, 
oh man, this made me so mad because he was talking about like you in worship, everybody sits there like eggs in a carton, but then they go to a Panthers game and they're like up and exuberant and cheering. And I'm the person saying, amen. I know. That's great. But I was so mad because I was like, first of all, I don't go to Panthers games (laughs) and you will never hear me cheer for a sporting event. So I, but I mean, also just recognizing like it's true that there was a disconnect between I am a passionate person Obviously, what I know, you know, I, I keep it on the DL, but um, and I'm shocked and astonished, and I could get really passionate in the preaching moment and in other just having convert, but not in the worshiping moment, not in you know, and just to have to really like pay attention to why that was and why it felt so threatening to me um, that there might be more. Um, you know, that was just, nobody could make that journey for me. And And I remember those days because I was, I was in the opposite place, right? Mm -hmm. And and this kind of gets to... You were so gracious because you just let me... No, it's, it's good. And, 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 um, I I love that subject of worship and I want to, um, piggyback on it in terms of what is astonishing me, um, because I do remember going through the transformation process, um, and I remember being in all of those meetings saying, yes, 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 this is exactly right. Yes, this is what I've been waiting for. Yes. And I am astonished by the reality is that, you know, I see myself as an early adopter of all of that stuff. And, and yet I'm in this place of ministry lately where um, I'm a bit frustrated. Um, I'm asking, well, why haven't certain things happened um, for me in the congregations that I've served? Um, There are times when I feel like I've reached a place in ministry where I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. And that doesn't mean I don't have a sense of call or vision. I feel like I know what we ought to do, but there's this sense, and this is true not just of ministry, but of life in general, that the sense where you you have a sense of direction, you have a what you think is clarity about where to go, but the doors are closed. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking, well, what now? What next? And you're just kind of in this, this space of feeling a bit stuck. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult when our congregations are content. And so it, it's hard to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into something new. And, and that's something new, no matter how glorious it is, no matter how good it is, it will come with loss and it will come with a period of like dissonance, dissonance, right? Like an unfamiliarity Mm -hmm. and discomfort. And, and it is hard to allow the Holy spirit to lead you into something good when something new, when what you have, you're experiencing as good enough. Right. So, and so, and I think that that's where a lot of our congregations get stuck is just feel like, could things be better? Sure. But they're still good enough for me and my family. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's why one of the fundamental questions that they started us with in the transformation process was, who does your church, be- who does your church exist for? That's right. Does it mm-hmm. exist for the people who are here or for the people who are not here yet? Because if it exists for the people who are here, then it will the status quo will always be good have enough. all the weight because mm-hmm. for the people who are here here is good enough if here if you're content with here you're never going to go there even if there is the promised land cuz mm-hmm. here's good enough and just not worth the risk now one thing that can motivate people to leave a good enough here for an unknown there is if you feel like gosh but the the church also exists for the people who aren't here yet. And so we need to go there so that we can reach out to them in love and so that we can share for them in love. But if, as I think is the case in a lot of mainline churches, and which I know is the case in most Presbyterian churches, if there is no real sense 
that evangelism matters. Like I think that in the mainline churches and in the Presbyterian churches, justice as we understand it matters and service as we understand it matters. That's right. But that allows us to say like, oh, I'll go there for two weeks, whether that's a trip to Nigeria or a trip to Peru, and I will do service work there. And the great thing about it is... I'm doing this wild, adventurous thing, but it has a time limit. And mm-hmm. at the end, I get to come back to my good enough here yes. and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Unless I really, really want it to, but I probably won't want it to, right? So I think, you know, when we are in a congregation that we really just feel like if people want Jesus, then they can have Jesus. They can even have Jesus here with us as long as they come in here and this is a good enough here for them yeah. too, right? Like when here is good enough, people don't want to go there. And so, especially when outsiders don't really matter. When the theology under the theology, and we might call it tolerance, and I'm a big believer as tolerance is a key um, a key element of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that we, not only if we love our neighbors then, and our enemies, then we ought to tolerate them. Like That seems like a pretty low bar for love. But I mean, a lot of what we label tolerance is just indifference. Like mm-hmm. those other people, God, they're your problem. Not my, I don't, I'm not my brother's keeper, right? And so, I mean, recently I was home, and I'll say this because <laughs> no one listens to our podcast. I was home, and my mom was driving me back to the airport, and we were talking about life and the world and politics, which is always dangerous. And uh, she said, well, one thing I think is wrong with this country is people just don't go to worship anymore. And I was like, Mom. She's like, I know, I know, I know. I'm like what? Like, you don't go to worship. You don't belong to a church. Like, what in the actual world, right? I mean, but I just think that's a very, that's a very real thing. Like, people know there's something wrong and and they might even have this sense that like, you know. It has something to do with God. It has something you know, to do and with the spiritual life. But it's life. sort of like, you know, those people out there, they should just get right with God and they should go to worship and then everything would be fine. But what's that got to do with me in my life? Like, there's no reason for me to leave my good enough here because my here is good mm. enough. I don't want to change. And so I, I just think that's where, I mean, to some extent, I think there are congregations who don't know what to do. I think there are congregations who don't have a clear and compelling vision. I think there are congregations who don't have leaders who are, you know, brave enough to take them there. I think that there are, you know, certain leaders who are just there for the paycheck and are running out the clock and are there to get their pension and whatever. But there are also congregations who just don't want to change and who just want to stay here for as long as they can. And if that means their own children and grandchildren grow up not knowing the Lord, like, I mean, that's not my responsibility. And that's just so antithetical to the gospel. And which takes me back to the very beginning, talking about like, you got to have a heart burst for people. Like there have to be people that you don't think you want to save them. You don't feel like you're better than they are, but you have a life with Jesus that brings such abundance and zeal into your own life that you want to share that with other people and you want to neighbor with other people and you want to love people in like a beautiful, healthy, sacrificial way. And if you don't want to do that, then you're never going to let the Holy Spirit lead you to a there. Wow. That's good. I think we just made a podcast, right? Like we yeah, just made a podcast. Just, yeah, whole thing. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get through all, all of our, no, our just, questions. Whatever. Uh, I mean, this week it's all yeah. astonishment and it's all about worship and, and that's good. Yeah. What, yeah. but what are you preaching on Sunday? Um, this Sunday, our, our theme for Advent is the glorious impossible, which we got from Madeline Lingle. That's her description of the incarnation. It's the glorious impossible. And so, um, we were, um, in week one, really talking about the impossibility of it all and focusing on some of the um, uh, Isaiah prophecies about what the kingdom of God will look like on earth and just how impossible it is. So the holy mountain, they shall neither harm or destroy, and the lion and the lamb, and all, all and just really Great recognizing text. that these are impossible, right? So if your hope is in what, you know, a best case scenario of current reality, then your hope is not in the Lord because the Lord is ushering in what is impossible in this fallen world. So that was week one. This past week we did the cantata, so that's really the glorious. This week we're doing Zechariah in the temple, 
Um, and, and so he's an old man and he's in the Holy of Holies and an angel comes to him and says, you know, God has heard your prayers and they're going to be answered and you are going to have a son. And so this is God coming in and saying this impossible thing, this impossibly good thing is going to come true in your life. And Zachariah says, you know, no, says this can't happen because I'm old and my wife is old. And so he he is um, now the good news of the story is God doesn't take it back, um, but he is silenced. He is silenced and for the for the nine months until it comes to pass. And I think, you know, there's something to me really powerful about we and then the following week we'll do Mary. And so and she obviously says yes when the angel comes to reveal the glorious impossible to her. And just as a church as a people of faith, individually and as communities, we can either say no to the glorious impossible or we can say yes to it. And um, if we say no to it, that doesn't change God's plan um, or prevent God from keeping God's promises. But it does mean we get silenced. I mean, it does mean we get wow, sidelined because we've said no. We've said, I don't I, I, I don't receive it. Um, mm. I, I, I know that you're God. I mean, in the irony, I won't preach my sermon here, but I mean, the irony is like, Zachariah is, he is a priest. He is in the whole, well, not the Holy of Holies, because that's the place where they only went one day a year, but he's in the, the, you know, the right outside that yeah, room. Yeah. And he is light, he is doing the thing that you do and only once in a lifetime. So if there's any time that, that you are going to have an encounter with a transcendent other, it's at that moment, and right his whole place, life right has been yes. built around that moment. And when the Holy Spirit shows up and disrupts his comfortable reality, even with an announcement of really good news, his first reaction to that is like, no, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so real, and it is so such an important thing for us to recognize, like, is God allowed to disturb you and disrupt you with good news? Mm. Or, or do you say no? And if you say no, that doesn't stop God, but it stops your ability to participate in it until you learn to say yes to it. So wow. that's what I'm preaching on this week. Awesome. We're doing um, Matthew 11 following Matthew 3 last week where, you know, a voice calling in the wilderness. John makes yeah. this great proclamation that, you know, after me comes one mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this week, John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends some of his... Um, followers mm-hmm. to ask Jesus, one? are you the one or should we look Wait for, for another? Else. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this great prophet is in this, um, this place of doubt and um, Jesus response is go tell John what you see in here, the, uh, the lame walk, the blind see. And so I think this, this week we're, we're going to deal with it being in a season where, you know, God just doesn't meet your expectations mm-hmm. and it causes you to doubt and, and working through that doubt because at some level, it takes faith in order to doubt. I right. Mean, I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, John is so brave to confront that, right? To mm-hmm. send his disciples and say, essentially, I think you might not be the one. And if you're not the one, I want to know, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I think a lot of us would just want to sort of save face or want to like emote about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, we've been taught this lie that doubt is the opposite of faith. It is not. It's right? not. Yeah. Um, as Anne Lamont has said, I think more plainly and simply than anyone else, certainty is the opposite of faith. Mm. And a lot of us would rather have certainty Mm -hmm. in something not that great than have a doubt-filled faith in a glorious impossible. Because, you know, why does John, why is John caught in doubt? Because God is showing up and behaving in a way that John didn't expect. Like, Mm -hmm. to my read... Well, the Messiah was supposed to come and slay the wicked. That was in the Isaiah text from last week. The Messiah is supposed to come and fix everything. And Jesus is eating with tax collectors and and sinners. sinners. Like, what is going on here? You grew to vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I mean, John, his expectation was God is going to come and fix things by righteous violence, right? Mm -hmm. God is going to destroy everyone who deserves being destroyed. So God is just going to be the holy mirror image of Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. Like and and that's just not the the Jesus came 
in a more glorious way, but you had to have eyes to see it. Well, yeah, and Jesus is so gracious to John. He mm-hmm. doesn't blast John. No. He doesn't criticize John. Just go tell John what you see and hear. And John knows the scripture. Mm-hmm. So when they report the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, oh, how many texts are there in mm-hmm. the prophet Isaiah that says, when the Messiah comes, mm-hmm. these things will happen. And so... Um, I don't know if the text says his faith is restored, but you get this sense of... But I mean, I I do think it's interesting, just it's helpful to have that understanding of John because we, again, we get really threatened and angry when anybody comes into our spiritual communities and says anything that makes us uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or makes us doubt or, or second guess our expectations of how faith works or who God is. And we think like, oh, that's an intruder and get out of here. You, you know, the fact that you stirred something up in me and made me uncomfortable is proof that you didn't come from God. But if we knew our own scripture better, we'd know that like, man, if John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of woman, if he can have a moment of doubt, if he can sort of not really understand what Jesus is doing, then, then if I'm having a moment of doubt, that may not be proof that the person who's causing me to doubt is, you know, a messenger of Satan. Could be. They're but, a messenger of the Lord. But evidence, I'm, number one, not seeing things clearly and that my perspective is limited, but also that I'm not connecting what's happening with what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. And that's what John, I mean, that's what Jesus does for John. Right. Well, and I also think for a lot of us, we, again, have these sola scriptura that we might say we are. Most of us don't know and read scripture. We know and read certain teachers of scripture. And so that's our problem. And I think, and I would say this again, like we only have the one book. It's just the one book. So like if you have a lifetime to learn one book, especially in this information age, like you could learn the book if you wanted to learn the book. And so I do feel like, you know, and I don't, we don't worship the book. Like the scripture is not God, but when we allow other people to interpret it for us or other communities to interpret us for us, we, we become really vulnerable to those people's limitations and to the limitations of those communities. And so anyway, we were going to stop talking. Yeah, we we kept talking. Sorry, friends. Um, Thanks for listening. You should definitely go check out Yolanda's church, Google Dorita Presbyterian Church, and it'll pop you over to his website. And you should definitely listen to his sermons. You can go to the Podbean um, website and look at Dorita Presbyterian, Dorita Presbyterian Church? Dorita Church. Dorita Church um, and get all of those messages. And if you want to check out The Grove, um, it's thegrovecharlotte.org and if you want to hear um, messages and sermons from The Grove, you go to iTunes and check out The Grove Charlotte and follow the podcast there. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>